Hi, this is Dennis Shapovalov, and you're listening to HP Tennis Radio. We've reached the midway point of the final Grand Slam of the year, and while the top half of the draw has an element of order to it, the bottom half is wide open, and coming up on the ATP Tennis Radio podcast, we try and make sense of week one at Flushing Meadows. Reflex volley from Federer is out of this world. Oh, up the line for a winner, and a fist bump for the Spaniard. He said, enough is enough. He enjoyed that. Dolgopolov running back, hoists one high in the air. Sensational play. Down the line, but David Goffa is there on the run. Backhand down the line. It's one of the best in the business. He raises his hand. Del Potro steps it up on the forehand. Now he comes forward to another one, rips it cross court for a winner. Three brilliant forehands in a row from one of the best forehands in the business. Team rips a winner. Cross court backhand. There it is again. It's a short ball for B. Should finish it off. Does finish it off. Double match point for the Frenchman. The backhand return is good from Anderson, but Anderson in this rally, good big hard hit cross court forehand. Dug out by Schwartzman. The forehand volley is okay. Schwartzman gets there and made it. <laughs> How did he make that? That's audacious play from the Argentinian to hang in. Oh, good reactions from Query. That might get him going. Chapovalov down the line with a scorching winner. Wow. Hello and welcome to Flushing Meadows, New York. We've had a couple of days rain. My name is Gigi Salmon, but the clouds have cleared. The sun is starting to break through. I'm told we have a couple of days of sun before it starts to rain again. And I'm very happy to say that with me, to give you kind of a half-term report on what we've seen so far, I don't really know where to start. Nick McCarver, are you broadcaster? MC writer, <laughs> have I missed it? What order would you like? Well, to yeah, this year uh, I'm on Grandstand. We're actually sitting next to my court, which has been a wonderful yeah, venue kind of for in a the lot. Shadow of Grandstand, we are. Yeah, we? we're. I'm closely watching the scoreboard of Luca Pui and Diego. Yeah, we should say if this match finishes soon, you're <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, I gotta go. I gotta run because I do the World Feed interviews, and then we also Gigi uh, kicked off a U.S. Open podcast this year. How's that going? It's been great, and you know what it is? Is it's a? It would be a great sort of supplementary podcast for. What you guys do because it's not about tennis. We're talking everything off the court. So we're talking to chefs and ball people and commentators and the TV broadcast coordinators, everyone that works around the US Open away from the court. We talk about the tennis sometimes, we talk to former players, but it's more about it's called Inside the US Open, and so we dive in. It's so just like that. Where do we find the podcast? You can find it on Audio Boom. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts. Search on iTunes for Inside the US Open. And who is the most interesting person you've spoken to so far and why? Well, gosh, we had um, Katie Couric on, who's a news broadcaster here, and she loves her tennis. I thought that was quite interesting. Um, we talked to the ball person's director, including a ball person, back for the eighth year. They run a very tight ship. But they're not ball boys and girls. They are men and women. And they're paid. It's a paid position, yeah. And there's people that have come back for 20, 30 years to do it. And then we also did Around the Grounds. I just did a Vox Pop thing, and we talked to a young boy named Liam. And he was the most adorable interview I've ever done. And he said that he's going to play at the U.S. Open. He's seven years old. So we'll see Liam in 10 or 15 years. Yeah, no, and you Uh, you heard it here, or maybe on your podcast, but you heard (laughs) it here second, that Liam's going to be in the US Open at some point. So yeah, the cheering in the background is because we are in the shadows of Grandstand. It's Luca Puy against Diego Schwartzman. It's getting to the meaty part. We could have another upset on it. Well, and it's it's the bottom half of the draw, which has completely opened up, and a lot of people thought that Luca Puy would be the breakthrough star of it. Well, right now he's got his hands full. He's down two sets to one. What's your half-term report? You know, it's been interesting. I think it's interesting. 
full stop. Hashtag interesting because it really has been this fascinating tournament of we started off without five of the top 11 men. We started off with question marks around Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. And then as we went in, we started losing our stars that we had. Dimitrov, Sasha Zverev, he lost right here on Grandstand. It really has been a a new next now what's happening in the men's tour sort of draw. And I think some people that's been frustrating, Gigi, but it's also been intriguing in a way. Yeah, I think it's been really intriguing. And I think if I had to give a an award for a player of the first week, there are a few contenders, yeah. but for me it's... Denis Shapovalov. Now I saw him closely in Montreal when he had the wild card and he came through and he did so well. He beat Rafa Nadal. He was set and loved three down against him, finally falling to the winner of that tournament, Sasha Zverev. Sadly for him, his journey ended today at the round of 16 stage, losing to Pablo Krenobusta, who is the 12th seed here. But what a talent he is at the age of 18. Incredible. I mean, and I think you were calling it a couple weeks ago when he was match points down in the first round of Montreal against Dutra Silva. And here he is. He won... You know, he made the fourth round. He wins six matches at the U.S. Open because he had to come through qualifying. He didn't get that wild card. And I just think his his game such an anomaly, the one-handed backhand with the left-handed. And he's also a fresh face and a fresh energy. And for him to come through the way that he did to win the matches that he did, beating Sangha, beating Daniel Medvedev, another next-gen superstar, coming through the draw that way. Kyle Edmund obviously was injured in that match, but I love that pick for sort of your your standout player of week one. He rises to 51 despite the loss. It's The reason he had, a, he had to go to qualification is because it's a six-week cutoff, and at that point, I mean, he started the year at 250. But the other thing about Shapovalov, apart from the fact that everyone can now say his name yes, because he was can. asked on court how to say it, <laughs> is his maturity. I've heard people saying that he went into TV interviews, and at the end, he shook every single person's hand in the room and said, thank you very much for your time. You can put anything to him. He will answer it. He seems like a, sounds an awful thing, so a lovely young man. Yeah, well, I did a press conference. I hosted this Q&A with that included him but it also included Federer and Chilich and John McEnroe before the tournament and you could tell that he was visibly nervous but he came out so well in it a gentleman and I think that he's someone that is really looking to make his stamp in the game and he's kind of been thrust into it with Montreal and New York but that's kind of how anyone learns on the job trial by fire and I think he's done a great job with it he really does. and when he lost today he was blowing kisses to the crowd he was waving at the Arthur Ashe crowd they were absolutely oh, lapping good. it up <laughs> now to get to know him a little better we've spoken to those close to him Vasek Pospisil Canada's National Training Centre coach Louis Borfiger journalist Tom Tebbett and of course the man himself my parents being from uh, from Eastern Europe uh, they're more into tennis than hockey but uh, obviously uh, it was tough to pick I never myself played hockey but I always wanted to um, but you know having a mom that played played tennis uh, it helped me lead toward tennis how much better are you uh, how much wiser are you perhaps uh, with the experience of being out on the ATP world tour yeah definitely I mean uh, in, in in a tennis world a year is a lot of time and you know I just feel a lot more mature and I feel like a, a different a different person a different player than I was a year ago and uh, you know, it's a new year and uh, hopefully I could do it again how would you describe your style of game? I try to be aggressive. You know, I really go for my serves and my forehands. Um, try to come in a lot, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think I have a lot of variation. I can uh, I can grind when I need to, but uh, obviously, I, I try to be aggressive. A big thing about tennis is clearly the mental game. Is that one of your strengths? Uh, mentally tough? Yeah, I think uh, I've really I've really worked with Marty a lot to improve on that, and uh, I've gotten pretty mentally tough over the past couple months, and. Uh, 
yeah, I think I think that's what's been helping me win a lot of matches recently. And uh, you know, I'm I'm st I've still got a lot long way to go. Uh, by you know, with improving that, but uh, yeah, I think I've, I've I've improved a lot on that point. I have a lot of uh, faith in Dennis in the sense that he. Very simply, he's a very, very, very good tennis player. A very, very promising tennis player. He's got a gorgeous one-handed backhand. I mean, he drills that thing cross-court. It's a real beauty. He can put it down the line. Obviously, he has a good forehand. He's left-handed, so and he has a good serve. He's very comfortable to net, so he's an all-around player. And the other thing is, as you've probably seen, he's really fun to watch. I mean, he's, he's, he's an exciting player to watch because he has all the shots, and, and he's pretty expressive with his emotions and everything. So, uh, you know, he has a very, very bright future if he can stay healthy. Oh, I like a lot of things about Dennis. I like uh, I like his game because I, for me it's very important to have a, you know to have a good technique. To, you, to have, that's very important for the to have no limit with a, in a technical side. And also I like his mentality. You know, he's, he's, he's playing on the center court, but he's playing with. He enjoys to play on the center court, and he is he, very good. You know. To have a good level when he needs a good level, that's for I like a lot of things in Dennis for sure. There's no limit really. It's tough to say where where how much further it can go because uh, we just seem to be getting new and new talents, young guys coming up. Dennis and Felix, uh, you know, they're they're uh, shown they've shown they have tons of potential and they can really make it to the top of the, the sport. So uh, I think we have a very bright future and I'm just uh, very thrilled and you know proud that I've been uh, part of that uh, in some way. So Shapovalov in the bottom half. What on earth went on in the bottom half of that draw? Marin Cilic, everybody thought, because Marin Cilic took the place of Andy Murray at the bottom. Yes, he did. So people thought, well, hang on a second, he's won this before, got to the final at Wimbledon, hasn't played a lot of tennis recently. Surely, surely, this is his half. And then the man that you've been keeping an eye out on grandson, Diego Schwartzman, put an end to that, and just the seeds kept falling. Yeah, it was interesting to see, because once things happened, obviously, with Murray, that was its own beast, but... Things got complicated in the bottom half of the draw, and then people pinned it on Cilic. And earlier, they pinned it on Sasha Zverev, the number four seed. This was supposed to be his breakout slam, having won in Montreal, beaten Roger Federer in the final. But actually, Gigi, both uh, Cilic and... Zverev lost on grandstand and to be honest I, I watched most of those matches courtside I just don't feel like any of them took advantage of the moment and not to say listen you're going to play your best tennis every day but both Chorich who beat Zverev and Schwartzman who beat Chilich, they were steady they were strong in the moment and, and they outplayed those guys and, and these are the moments that you want these guys to step up the guys outside of the big four like listen here's your moment and I just don't think they did who has been the most fun to interview on court? You know what? We've had Delpo twice. We also get Delpo team tomorrow. I don't know how we got that match, <laughs> but it's going to be on grandstand. And Delpo, it just like oozes this sense of connectedness with the crowd. I mean, we get all the Latin fans, right? We can hear them right now for Schwartzman. But th they connect with Delpo, and he said yesterday, I mean, I don't even know why, but he was like, I'm about to cry. We have to end this interview. And I asked, I felt like I asked him a pretty simple, like, you know, how's the comeback going? So I almost got tears out of Delpo. Of <laughs> but he, he, he serves his heart on the court, which I think people appreciate. And he connects with the crowd that way. Yeah, so I remember at Roland Garros, he was on court, what, six or seven. And he said, I love it. I, I want to be there again. And then he was lined up to face Andy Murray. And we had to break the news to him. You're not going to be on court seven to face the world number one. He was like... But I really like it out there. And it's the, the fans from Argentina. I mean, they're noisy. 
Oh, they absolutely. And I've done grandstand a couple times in Miami. And when you get an all Latin American matchup, it is like a football match, essentially. So the other man you had out here who lost, Sasha Zverev. So the big question mark remains about proving himself on the main stage. He's got the two Masters 1000 titles. He's broken yeah. into the top 10. He looks like the real deal. But it's on, it's on this big stage. It's on the Grand Slam stage that he hasn't been able to translate it. Yeah, he still hasn't been able to do that. I mean, look at, you know, if you would have said, okay, who's going to have the better tournament? Andre Rublev or Sasha Zverev? Or Sasha Zverev or Borna Cioric. I mean, these young guys, of the guys we've been watching, everyone would have picked Zverev. He just hasn't been able to do it. And I don't know. I mean, you know, I had friends outside of tennis say before me, before this tournament to me, they've seen billboards of Sasha in New York. I mean, I mean he's really There's sort a of... a Vogue shoot, wasn't there, with Dominic yeah, Team. Yes, that's right. At Wimbledon, he was all over billboards, taxi cabs. I think he's still got to play his way into his position at the slams because he's proved he can do it at the tour but now it's about doing it at the slams which is another level now the thing about podcasts they're ever moving the thing about grand slams they're ever changing so i'm going to rattle off some names and by the time you listen to this think what she's talking about that player hasn't been in for a while but if i just round off the bottom half and go back to it query misha zverev paulo lorenzi kevin anderson pablo crena booster and at the moment luca Puy and diego schwartzen we are going to have a new Grand Slam finalist and that in itself well there's part of me that says if they come up against Nadal or Federer in the final how are they going to cope is it going to be a disappointment but the other half of me is really excited that we are going to see a new Grand Slam finalist well it's been since 2014 when we had both Chilich and Nishikori come through and it's delightful I mean who is going to break through my American mind in a way says Sam Quarry's had an incredible summer making the semi-finals at Wimbledon beating Andy Murray obviously he was injured there but It'll be intriguing to see who can kind of rise to the occasion because it really is. I mean, this is as wide open as it gets. The man with the deepest run at a Grand Slam in the bottom half of the draw is Sam Querrey, who shares a coach with Steve Johnson. That man is Craig Boynton, who chatted to us about his charges. Well, they're the old man maybe of American tennis, but they're still young compared to the, 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 the big four. You know, So they have five more years left to get where these guys are. So, no, but, uh, but in reality, we've got a really good group of young, younger uh, men Americans uh, coming up. And uh, Stevie and Sam, I think they enjoy the role of maybe being a little bit of a big brother, a little bit of a mentor for these young kids growing up. They're, they're, they're really good. They're really talented. Um, and everyone gets along really, really well in the locker room. In terms of a pecking order, though, it must be good also to, just to keep them on their toes, the simple fact that these guys, these kids are coming through. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a fraternity. And, you know, in the fraternity, you've got uh, the, the King Poobahs and the, everyone that goes down uh, the pledges, if you will. Uh, but they don't ride them too hard. Um, there's a lot of respect. Um, but if, if any of them get out of line, they'll be put in line pretty quickly. It's fun, to, it's fun to be around. It's fun to see. I'm intrigued by your role as well, coaching the two of them. Uh, first of all, how do they compare off the court? I mean, off the court, um, Stevie is more of a homebody. He likes uh, to be at home. Uh, Sam is all about new adventures, so he likes to get out. He'll um, go to the beach, uh, go to concerts, go to movies, and go to fun restaurants. So um, they're both California boys, so both love L.A., uh, but just li- little different scenarios when they're home. And what happens for you when they play each other? Uh, well, so far it hasn't happened. I'm knocking on my head here. I'm knocking on wood. Uh, it hasn't happened, but we have a plan if that happens. 
Uh, they know what to expect. But, I mean, the, the practicalities of pre-match and, and then emotionally for you to, to deal with the situation, it, would it be challenging? Well, I wouldn't go to the match. I would send, the, I mean, I'd send Christian, their physio, to sit in a neutral position. Uh, and I'd watch the match either if it was a big stadium, I'd go somewhere where they wouldn't be able to see me. Uh, or I'd stay in the locker room and watch it on close circuit. Rewinding, Craig. I wanted to ask you about when you first became a coach back in the 90s. Um, you worked with you know, Jim Courier, Marty Fish, achieved success with, with both, and then took John Isner to his highest career ranking nine. How do you feel that whole experience, I know it was over a period of time, but equipped you for, for the role that you're now doing with, with Sam and Steve? Well, I could, looking back on it, every one of those players was a different personality and a different game style. And so what I've been able to learn is that everyone's an individual, both on and off the court, and be able to get through to them based upon their personality and give them the information based upon their game. So I think that's the thing that I've learned in, in the 20-plus years that I've been, been coaching and looking at everyone at a different lens and trying to see the game that they see through their eyes and being able then to say okay I think you're better if you do this and do the think about this and just getting a formulating a game plan which best for them the information that I would tell Sam isn't the information that I would tell Stevie per se because Stevie's game is so much different than Sam's you look at him yeah big serve big forehand but there's a lot of other things around a lot of other assets that they can both rely on that you need to have those in, in play, and they're also different guys. And so how I approach each one of them is different because they are different. In terms of Sam, we haven't talked much about Sam. He's looking good. He's looking really good. He's had a, a great season. Um, he's getting better, and he's moving in the direction that when we sat down at the beginning of the year and had the vision, okay, you got to look to do a couple these things a little bit better and he's and he's getting better at those and as you get better your game gets better and it kind of snowballs and you know this tricky little thing like called confidence um, which is so hard to gather and it seems like at sometimes it can be so it could just disappear but for Sam he's done a great job I think he really truly deep down believes how good he is and the potential of how good he can be you're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Now, unbeknownst to you and I, I don't even need to tell you this, but we took a little pause in the podcast. But the reason I do is because, Nick, you suddenly just got up and left. I had to run away from you, Gigi Salmon. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> no, no. But it we, was work-related. It was work-related. We, <laughs> I was watching the scores on Schwartzman and Luca Pui, and Schwartzman comes through, and it was incredible to see him close that match out in four sets, ran down, courtside interview. I think he was a little bit... Um, overwhelmed by the situation. He gave a pretty good interview, but um, the fans, the fans here, again, I mentioned it with Delpo, but they just love their Latin American players, and so he was thanking, he said it was 30% his tennis, 70% the fans willing him on. Now, in terms of these interviews, and you mentioned earlier that Del Potro for you, and I think he'd be a favorite with a lot of people, but do you keep them what happened in the match base, or do you try and think of 
other things to maybe bring out a little bit more of them? Well, I, th I think you've got to think of that it's for the world feed, so it's going out to TV. And then, of course, yeah, you want to try to connect them with the fans, but usually one match-based question, usually one general, how's your year going, or you've been so great, X, Y, Z. And then maybe if there's something personality-driven, like... Alina Svitolina had gone boxing in New York before she came to the U.S. Open. What, watching or doing? She, she boxed. Okay. She was training with a, a female boxer here in Brooklyn. So asked her about that. How does that help your tennis? Um, Caroline Wozniacki lives in or has an apartment in New York City. So asked her about that. Diego Schwartzman was 0-4 at the Grand Slams last year. Now he's in a quarterfinal. <laughs> so bring stuff that, you know, the, the crowd can feel because I think tennis listeners to your podcast are going to know a lot of those stories. But... Not the everyday U.S. Open, I'm coming on Labor Day weekend fan. Yeah, just a reminder, it is Labor Day weekend. We do have sunshine after a, a horrible day's rain. Our, our hotel is about five minutes from where the, the bus drops us off. Yeah. And you know you think, it's, it's not that bad, I'm just going to uh -oh. run. I mean... I How'd was, it go for you? My bones were wet. <laughs> I mean, everything was stuck. So I got into the hotel and everyone at reception just looked at me and I was like... Yeah, yep. mistake. I'm not used to New York rain. I mean, that was heavy. New York rain is actually much more rainy than you think. I mean, this is a wet city. You have to have. <laughs> I take my umbrella with me everywhere because it does rain, and when it rains, it rains a lot. Um, but you, well, you learned to. I'm sorry, I didn't wet. get. I didn't get that Very memo to you. <laughs> wet. <laughs> You're a Londoner. You should know that. Yeah, but that was different. It was rainy rain. I mean, that, <laughs> rainy that, rain. That was just not misty rain. That or was foggy wet rain. rain. That was yeah. heavy wet rain. <laughs> anyway, I've dealt with that. I've put it behind me, and I'm drier today. A reminder: I'm with Nick McCarvel, who's producing the Inside US Open podcast, yep. where they don't talk about tennis or a li just a little tennis, a little bit of tennis. And you can download that from Audio Boom and. Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. So make sure you have a listen to that. We are by Grandstand Court, so Nick can effectively ignore me and stare at the massive screen behind me to see if he needs to go and do a little bit of work. But what Diego Schwartzman beating Luca Pui means, we've lost another seed in the bottom half of the draw. I mean, again, it's it's just been incredible this whole week watching what has unfolded. And, and you know, the opportunities that were lost for a player like Zverev, as we said, for Cilic, for someone young like Hatchinoff, who, you know, I think a lot of people are looking at. But now you've got opportunities for someone like Kevin Anderson, Sam Querrey, Pablo Carreno Busta. Busta made the semifinals at Indian Wells this year, so he can play on these American hard courts. I'm just I'm shrugging. This is me shrugging on the podcast because who knows what's going to happen in the coming week. Well, let's go to the, the top half of the draw because there is a little bit more. There's a little more familiar, yeah, yeah, familiarity. Just a bit more order. And <laughs> so what have you made so far of Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal? I think they've both looked scratchy. And I think Roger Federer finally against Feliciano Lopez beating him in three sets on uh, Saturday night. That was finally where we saw Roger for the first time, I think, since Wimbledon. I think he looked pretty scratchy throughout Montreal, even though he made the final. Um, for Rafa, continued to look scratchy, I think. Um, losing a set to Taro Daniel, losing a set and looking very out of sorts against Leonardo Meyer. Uh, I think it's been not the Roger and Rafa that we thought we were going to get here in New York. What have you thought? Well, I, I agree. I think I think Nadal. I thought Nadal ahead of that Lopez match had fared a little bit better than Federer because playing two rounds in yes. ten sets for a 36-year-old with a slightly dodgy back, that tweak he picked up in Montreal. I think I read some stat that only once in Grand Slam history has someone gone to five sets the first two rounds and gone on to win the title. Really? Because it's a lot of matches and it's a lot of tennis. And I hate to keep bringing up the age, but it's 36 against Lopez. The other thing there was the roof was shut. 
And Roger Federer under the roof, I mean, he's a different beast altogether because the conditions are perfect. He had an unblemished record against Lopez. And you do wonder about the opponent. Do they have the belief? Do they think they could do it? And usually for a little bit, did, and he started cramping. Lopez, I'm not so sure. And if you look at the run now, Philip Kohlschreiber next, another player, he's got a really good record against. Yes. Nadal has got the unknown of Dolgopolov, who, when he's on it, he is an insanely difficult player to read. Are we going to get the Nadal-Federer semi-final? It's, it, for me, I, I really think it's hard to see it happening. I know I'm breaking a lot of fans' hearts out there and a lot of New York fans because they've never met here. They've never that played so at the weird. U.S. Open full stop, which is crazy. But I just, you know, they've got to get through. Rafa would have a tough test with perhaps David Goffin if he gets through Dugapolov. And then Federer's got either Del Potro or Team should he get through um, Cole Schreiber and I, Del Potro's looked so good. He's played has his he really last two matches. He really has. Yes, he's looked great. He won in straight sets against Batista Agut and actually kind of swatted him aside. I thought. And Dominic Team has not been a force to be reckoned with on the hard courts here at the U.S. Open. But perhaps this is the Grand Slam outside the French Open that we see him break through. Now I just want to sort of swerve and bring up someone who's no longer in the tournament, but we always talk about him, Nick Kyrgios. Where do you think we're at with Nick Kyrgios? Because I think hopes are really high after Cincinnati getting to the final. Is he going to take the positives and move forward? He didn't, and then we had he appeared in the doubles, and he seemed okay after the shoulder and going out, and it was an opportunity, and, and again, just more head-scratching. Yeah, I mean, I actually wrote on my, no- my notes, Nick Kyrgios, frown- it, there's just a frowny face next to his <laughs> name. Be- because, And I did that because I was in Cincinnati for those 10 days, and he was in such a good mood. He was chatty and press. He gave some great tidbits about his training, his mom, all of these things that he's been through to get to where he is. He was going to Kansas City to hang out Jack Sock. I just, I think we all thought that we had turned a corner with him getting to the Cincinnati final. But once again, he's thrown us for a loop. And I'm going to step back and say, I just don't know. Because we don't know if he's going to turn around and say, okay, this fall, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then in 2018, I'm going to be in this position. I don't know. And I think it's hard to say right now because, to me, the thing that really is lacking there that we see so much in Federer and Nadal is passion and heart for the game. It's just not there for him. Nick Kyrgios is 22, so he was never going to qualify for the next-gen finals. Then there's Shapovalov, who I sort of gave the sort of award of the week. He's definitely in the mix with his recent results, as is 19-year-old Russian Andrei Rublev, one of the next-geners. The big standout result from him was beating Cincinnati champion Gregor Dimitrov. And the way that he beat him, Gigi, straight sets, 7-5-7-6-6-3, and then follows that up because we've seen for so many of these players, next-gen, anyone coming up, Borna Cioric beats Zverev, he goes out in the next round. Rublev backed that up. It was actually near us right here on court five yesterday that he won in four sets against Damir Jumer. Did you see and him tear his shirt at one did point? He? he did like have you seen Novak Djokovic the Superman? He got so angry that he ripped it, he carried on, but then it was so bad he had to go and change his shirt. Yeah, okay. He got so frustrated. <laughs> but you know, just to watch what he's done this week, you know, Dimitrov was another player that having won Cincinnati. I, I did an interview with him one on one before the US Open started and I was I was drinking the Kool-Aid. I was like, Grigor, this is it. Not that he was going to win the U.S. Open, but that he really has become this top contending player. And, of course, he won his first Masters 1000. But I just, he's another player. It's hard to deliver consistently, and that's what makes these great guys so great, is that they've been able to do it on a consistent level for so long. Absolutely. Now, up next for Rublev is the ninth seed, David Goffin, who is coached by the Belgian Thierry van Klimput. We start a long time ago in 2004 in the center in Haifté 
and it's very difficult year for him in this time because after one year with me I decide to put out of the center David for the attitude and uh, but he worked hard during this year and after we start a long collaboration with some coaches also and in 2014 he decided to come to ask me to, to go with him on the tour and we start a new collaboration but on the tour. He is a fantastic player. I remember watching him at Roland Garros uh, when he played Federer, I think, for the first time. And round of 16, got a set, went four sets, and he kind of almost announced himself to the world back then. Yeah, I was there like a technical director with my friend, uh, Reginald Willems, his old coach, the coach as this time. And uh, it's a fantastic moment because it's the first time on the big stadium again. David is a fan of Federer and he played an amazing match. It's a great moment and we we did we we know that he has talent but not so big and where do you think you can take David as a player? He has been very consistent in the top 20 players in the world. Uh, I don't have an idea about that. My my philosophy is simple. You try to 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 be better every day. And you continue to work to, to be better in different sectors, physical, technical, uh, tactical, uh, everything. It's important. But next day, it's a new day, and you work for to be better, and you continue to continue to continue. And the future, we, we, nobody knows. Maybe he, he can grow up in some some part of the, the, his game and to, to miss some place. It doesn't matter. The important is the good the good mind and the, to continue to to work. Think back to, to Roland Garros and, and I don't think there was a person in Paris that day who didn't empathise, sympathise with, with what happened. It was a, a freak accident and he was out of the tournament. Uh, how tough was that, you know, mentally I guess for him to, to cope with that? During the moment it's really, it's a drama, it's, it's, it's an accident, it's, it's like this, but after uh, is the life, is the life of the top sport. Everybody knows uh, wrong situation like this and now it's in the past and now we turn for the future and to, we decide to work again and to come back is not easy you need times because it's not ready at 100 person no but you need probably one month or two months but after it's important to to come back in the the, go, the good way what i couldn't believe from that interview with goffin's coach was that goffin once had a bad attitude and when he went to the academy where van klimpunt was coaching he threw him out and said, sort your attitude out before you come back. Because when you look around court, that's not the Goffin I see. No, absolutely. And it reminds me of Federer when he had a bad attitude when he was young. And Goffin has, I mean, it's great. We were working together at the French Open when he had that terrible injury. He took his Awful. time away. He's back and he's better. Listen, coming through a five-set second-round match against Guido Pella, he wins that. He gets through an injured Malfis. He's another player. That's why I get really sort of... I'm not sure about the Federer-Nadal semi because he is a dangerous player for Rafael Nadal in the quarterfinals. And I think it's nice to know that he had that maybe rebel in him, as did Roger Federer, as does maybe most of the great players, because that's sort of that passion and that spark. It shows it is inside. Even if he doesn't bring it to the court, he's got it deep down within him. And I think that's a good trait to have. You know what I also love about Goffin is he had that big match against Federer, fourth round of the French Open 2013 or 14. And then he had some tough results, injuries. He went back to the challenger level. And I don't know the numbers usually, but he won something like four tournaments in a row he knows how to work hard and how to grind and I appreciate that in a top level player 
So the top half has a little bit more order, but we're still really not making sense of it because there are so <laughs> yes. many question marks. Right. But looking to make the most of the bottom half, because we're going back there, is South African Kevin Anderson, who's back playing at his best after a frustrating run of injuries over the past year or so. Yeah, well, it really started all the way back, you know, in January of 2016, in you know, in uh, right in the beginning of the year, I played the um, um, the event in uh, um, you know Abu Dhabi, and then. You know, didn't feel great there. Then, unfortunately, I had to pull out of, uh, you know, Chennai. You know, end up playing Australia. Had to withdraw there too. And, uh, you know, that's it. Sort of started with the knee, and then it progressed to the shoulder. Had to miss um, Indian Wells in Miami. Um, and then when I started playing in the in the clay, the hip was pretty bad. I was, you know, I was, I was, I was playing the tournaments, but, you know, taking three or four days off between each tournament, and, uh, you know, you know, doing quite a bit just just to get on the court and. Um, you know, during the summer, you know, I felt pretty healthy, and then towards the end of the year, you know, the uh, the right hip went, and that's what caused me to miss the end of the year, in the beginning of 2017. And uh, you know, I think one of the lessons I learned was, uh, you know, it was one of those things that something was hurt, and I ended up compensating um, with other parts of my body. And you know, that's what tennis is, you know, is like. So you know, example, if my you know, knee sore, then I may be putting you know more stress through my shoulder because I'm not using my legs as well. And, sort of the snowball effect happened so that was one of the reasons I missed out on you know I decided not to go to Australia and you know New Zealand this year um, because you know after the hip I wanted to make sure that I was 100% and uh, you know even if you're at 90% you know you often put your body at risk um, you know you know in other areas so you know but since then I've been healthy and uh, you know it was a tough 2016 but you know I hope you know I think I learned some uh, some important lessons. Yeah for those people listening who don't know Kevin you gradually work your way up to the point where you you broke into the top 10 at one stage before the injuries you know some would say right in the prime of your career too although when you look at what people like Federer and Nadal are still doing you know you've got many more years to come if you stay fit and healthy but that's a key part of tennis isn't it managing your body managing your schedule so that you, you you keep those sort of injuries to a minimum yeah, definitely, and I feel like you know I've really tried to pay a lot of attention to that. Um, you know, especially with my schedule, the amount of time I, um, you know, I spend with my treatment and my rehab and everything. And it was just a tough lesson, as I said earlier. I just, you know, I was obviously you want to get out there and play, and you know, I think one of the lessons I took from you know 2016 was just knowing when to say no and as tough as it is to miss tournaments sometimes it is the right decision and you've seen that a couple of guys obviously you know Roger Lasty I'm sure he would have loved to play the tournaments and it was a very difficult decision for him not to but sometimes that you know that is uh, you know that can be a good decision especially in the long you know in your longevity and keeping your body healthy you know again if you know hopefully I won't have to take extended periods of time off but if I do I think also again I've learned a, a few valuable lessons from this whole stretch that uh, you know might be very useful um, to me in the future so Nick if we're summing up and we're going in is week two is it any clearer or are we still I don't I'm not sure where we've come in these last few minutes when we've been talking because there are there are no cut and dries we've had so many years of thinking well he'll win this or he'll do that or they'll do this but there are so many question marks I mean I feel like it's only become more confusing right (laughs) and as we've talked about it but that's the thing and that's you know we seek for this clarity or we want some sort of a, a Roger to really sort of grasp onto but for the first time in a long time the men's draw has presented the sort of confoundingness that the women's draw does on a consistent basis and we're not sure what's going to happen the next few days and to me that's exciting because it gives the sort of unknown that is going to be in front of us the next week in New York and 
I've loved, I've loved Juan Martin Del Potro this tournament. I think that he's finally been given a draw that he's been able to work into. He's had so many tough draws. Andy Murray in the third round at the French Open. He played someone tough early at Wimbledon. He's I played mean, just, all the big guys. He hasn't since been he's allowed to work his way into a draw. I think he's done it here, and he's going to have a great match in the fourth round against Dominic Thiem. Are you telling me that you might be tipping him to go all the way? Because I am going to ask for who is going to lift this I know title. that was lingering. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to go that far oh, well, with Juan Martin. Well, who are you going for? That's, well, that's not the answer. Well, let me admit that initially I was picking Sasha Zverev to come through to have his breakthrough slam. To win? To win the tournament. Wow, okay. That was pre-tournament pick. Okay. That was wrong quickly. That was wrong, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Your backup pick? Because of the way that he played in the third round, Roger Federer. Because of the way that he beat Feliciano Lopez, I only see him now gaining confidence against Cole Schreiber, stopping a team or a Del Potro, and then just sort of not necessarily winning the way that he did at Wimbledon, but really charging through to win this tournament. And overall, we're only speaking after week one. How much have you enjoyed what you've been doing here this year? Because this is a little bit, every year you seem to do something a little bit different at the time, just changing the role of it. Yeah, it's been super fun. I mean, the energy of 8,000 people, we heard it earlier in the podcast of, you know, Diego Schwartzman getting the chance, getting a chance to get up close to these athletes literally in the moment of their victory. Because you and I have done plenty of interviews 20, 40, you know, 60 minutes after they've won. They've had time to process. I mean, Diego was almost speechless out there. I was kind of wanting him to say more. He couldn't. And so that's been great. And then the podcast has been really fun for the U.S. Open as well. Inside U.S. Open, it's not about tennis, but there's a little bit of tennis. And you're going to find out exactly... If people haven't been to the U.S. Open, is it a good look into what they Oh, absolutely. It's a behind-the-scenes tour of the U.S. Open, 100%. How have you enjoyed it? Because we've had very different roles. You've been up high most of this Yep, our commentary box. The commentary box I'm working in is the top of Arthur Ashe, where when you first step in there, they look like ants. And you think, I can't commentate because I can't see them. But it's amazing how your eyes adjust very quickly. It's amazing the different view you get, because in Australia, I work on a commentary box that's sort of like ankle level. And then you think, you sit in there thinking, I can't commentate from down here I can just see ankles so it takes a little while to adjust but yeah it's been incredible I spend a lot of time sort of wrapped up in scarves and hats because of the air conditioning and when I come out into the sunshine people look at me and say you are wearing a podcast scarf right now (laughs) it's rather chilly well yeah it's probably not cold enough to warrant a scarf now I stuck my neck out and I want you to do the same who's your champion no I think you should I came on your podcast then maybe okay um (laughs) I weirdly I we we did this maybe five days ago. Who we thought was going to win, and I went for Del Potro. I just why? But why? It, why? I'm not sure. I think because of the madness that seems to have surrounded the whole year. And at that time, I'd seen Roger Federer at five sets and think I'm not sure. And Rafa Nadal. I'm not sure because there was talk of a, maybe a knee problem coming into this. And the others I was looking at, I, I couldn't see someone that was going to take it by just grab it and run with it and Del Potro is someone that if the game comes together he is unplayable I'm not sure still whether he can put all those matches together because that's an awful lot of tennis but I, maybe I just grabbed a pin and stuck it in the drawer I'm not sure but Del Potro was the one I picked well I think you should come out to Grandstand and watch his fourth round match against Dominic Team.
You is can that, sit is court- that an offer? You can sit courtside with me. Can I? A hundred percent. That's amazing. That's Thanks. all I can offer anyone no, is that, that come is, on down. That's a bit courtside for Team Del Pocho. Brilliant. <laughs> it's going to be a hot ticket, right? Nick McArthur, thank you very much. Thank you, and Gigi. Thank you for Thanks. being with us yeah, I appreciate on the it. ATP Tennis Radio podcast. You can listen to daily updates from the US Open on ATP Tennis Radio, available on TuneIn and or the ATP website. And I'll be back next week rounding up all of the action and see if one of mine or Nick's picks has lifted the trophy. Thank you for your company. We'll see you next time. If you like this podcast, please visit the iTunes store and search ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review.